Hi, this is Lucas Mack, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Today, we have Carrie Smith, the founder of Big Ass Bands. That's right, you heard it, Big Ass Bands. By 2017, Carrie had grown the fan and light manufacturer to $260 million in annual revenue and nearly 1,000 employees. Ready for a new challenge, he sold Big Ass Fans for $500 million. The company's stock appreciation rights program paid out $50 million to more than 100 loyal employees who shared Carrie's work ethic with 15 instant millionaires. It is my pleasure to welcome Carrie Smith. Carrie, thank you for joining the Golden Rule Revolution this morning. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, one of my clients has a big ass fan or a few of them in their uh, in their warehouse. And the very first time I noticed this well-designed fan, I was like, what is that? And the CEO said, well, that's a big ass fan. And I had thought he was joking and he wasn't. That's literally the name of your fan. Um, how'd you get, how, where did that name come from? Well, when we started the business, we uh, referred to, well, the name of the company was HVLS Fan Company. It rolls right off the tongue. So it's probably surprising to you that we didn't keep that name. Um, (laughs) but inevitably, well, it stood for high volume, low speed uh, fans, which from an engineering perspective, uh, sort of describes them. Um, but inevitably, uh, in the early days when we answered the phones, and since there were only six of us, we answered the phones a lot. Um, inevitably, uh, the people on the uh, other side of the line, after we said, HVLS Fan Company, can I help you? Uh, there was a pause. And uh, they asked, are, are you those guys that make those big-ass fans? And uh, we took the hint. Uh, and uh, so after about a year and a half uh, being in business, we changed the name. Uh, and it was, uh, it was interesting, uh, and I guess we were, we were lucky in the sense that, well, one, I, I like to, 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 uh, to get people's panties in a wad sometimes, so that's always fun. <laughs> And, uh, and secondly, it was something described, it was the name described or, or suggested by, the, by our customers. It also gave us a wealth of, um, of opportunities to use asses, uh, donkeys. Uh, and, uh, and I think people like that. I mean, it was the whole, uh, we sold an awful lot to uh, uh, agricultural uh, concerns uh, in the early days. And we dealt with cows. And so it was nice to be able to, to uh, use another animal. And I remember one time, uh, sort of funny, we, uh, well, the, 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 uh, the ass's name was Fanny. Um, so that tells you a little bit about where we're, where our head is. But, <laughs> but we, uh, we decorated Fanny like a Holstein and uh, as if it was a, a cow, and we actually had people write in and tell us that 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 wasn't a Holstein. The fact that it was white and black uh, did not make it a Holstein, um, which I thought was hilarious. But we used to get all sorts of mail uh, because there was quite a bit of pushback with the name, 
And, uh, but we made the most of it and we, we advertised it, if you will, in as many ways as we could. We didn't, obviously we, we didn't disclose the people, um, his name uh, that uh, sent it to us. We didn't dox anybody, but, but uh, we had, I would guess, oh, maybe 5% of the population just gave us rats all the time. Uh, and 95% of the population just thought it was funny as hell. And the, mm. the people that thought it was funny, it was even funnier to them that it upset people. So it was sort of a, yeah. it was a, it was like catching a really good wave and uh, it worked. But I always tell people that, that it's not so much, uh, I think the, um, there, there was an, there's a tendency sometimes to imagine that the reason that we were successful uh, was because of the name. And, and in reality, the name says more about the way we ran the company and we were just, we were contrarians and, we just did. If if everybody was going north, we were heading south, and and um, uh, and and I think that that explains a lot of the ways we we approach the business. Because I always told people that that we had to make money to stay in business, but we weren't in business to make money and uh, solely make money. Because I think that uh, one, not only is that absolutely no no fun at all, um, just to trying to make money. It's so unidimensional. Um, the, um, uh, I, I think that it's very difficult if you're simply chasing dollars, um, to, uh, to really build a, a, uh, a great product and to, uh, support and be able to support great employees and great suppliers. And you have to, you simply have to get that, the, the dollar signs out of your head, and that's both that's both going into the market and and accepting um, uh, the supplies, which, whether, whether they be labor or or parts or anything else. You, if if you're fixated on cost, you you've got a problem, and if you're fixated on making money, you got a problem. So that's my my view. Well, that that leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you early on, and. So I, I want to hear your story where, how you came, how you came to be, where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like? And before you get to that, one of the things that stands out to me by going to your website, which we'll give the, the link at the end of the episode here, but you talk about you're a proud capitalist, which I love. And, uh, when I speak at college campuses, I tell them I'm a capitalist and it's almost like you suck the air out of the room. You're like, how dare you say that? And then I say, but I'm a moral capitalist. And you say something very similar. Yeah, I guess. I, I wouldn't, from my perspective, I wouldn't say that I'm a moral capitalist because I think that capitalism is very interesting from my perspective. Um, is it's a it's a it's a system that rewards good behavior. And uh, I think that. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to, as as you've mentioned, the the golden rule in a lot of respects, because it it, it always seemed to me that if you empathized with your uh, customers and if you empathized with your um, your uh, fellow employees and if you empathized with your suppliers, and I, I don't mean that that uh, you know that you 
never have an argument or never have a disagreement. But but if you recognize that everybody's interest flows in the same direction, um, it, it is you can work with those people and and build something. Um, but you can only build it with their cooperation. And, and, and I think that the, the job of a leader is to do just that, is to a leader can see or should concentrate on seeing uh, beyond the horizon, uh, always, be, always interested in the next thing. I mean, we were constantly working on product development and, and extensions and, and markets and, mm. and distribution channels. So it was a continual rebirth. It was just continual. Um, but again, I think we paid uh, people more. Um, we paid uh, uh, the people that worked in the company uh, 30% more uh, than's average in the, in the U S and, and, and 40% more than was average in Kentucky. Um, we, we, uh, paid bonuses every year based on the, uh, the amount of money we made and based on seniority and, and grades from the, uh, supervisors and managers and so on. But everybody got bonuses and, and, uh, and I mean, everybody and some of the biggest bonuses, which I, I don't know, it's, I don't know. Some of the biggest bonuses were paid to the guys and gals on the production lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that, I don't know, I had a, maybe a soft spot there, but, but um, uh, I think that when you share, um, I think it pays, I think it pays off. I, I can't imagine running a company or starting a company uh, without, without imagining that, that uh, there's a greater, you can do more for a community uh, by creating jobs, by starting a company, by treating everybody fairly. It's the, it's just, and when I say I'm a capitalist, it, it doesn't, there's, there's no, there's no modifier there because to do it and do it right and pay attention to it uh, means that you are, um, um, you have to excel. I mean, and, and the way you excel is to treat everybody, you know, uh, treat everybody the way you would want to be treated yourself. I, it's not complicated. I mean, the ins and outs of business, I mean, are always, and there's always a little complicated, always sometimes very complicated. Um, but, um, but I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think if you keep that in mind, you've separated yourself from the majority of people that, uh, and I, now I don't know this, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't even say this. You, you separate yourself from a lot of people that are running businesses. Hmm. Um, and I think that that you, you naturally stand out and, and, uh, and I think people appreciate that and they notice you and, and they, I mean, we sold fans, our fans cost, we sold them for twice, basically, what anybody else sold. I mean, after we got into the business, naturally, you had people knocking you off, and you can't get too concerned about that because that's life. But um, And naturally, what they were interested in doing was cutting cost, or cutting the price, everything right to the bottom. It should just, it should bounce around on the, on the bottom. And we never did that. We concentrated solely on 
quality and service and 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 our our prices our cost obviously were higher than anybody else's but our prices were much higher as well and we had when i sold the company uh, estimate that we had between 70 and 80% of that market so wow. Wow. that's how you do that well tell me where to, tell me about your life growing up and how you got to where you are today well, um, I, I mean, I, we moved when I was a child. We moved uh, all over the country. I, I went to, I don't know, some ridiculous number of schools, nine or ten different schools by the time I graduated high school, uh, in different cities, different places uh, around the country. Um, I think that that was interesting. Uh, two points. Um, one that when you constantly are in motion like that, you you're not really you don't develop uh, dependencies, and and you 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 have a tendency to be rather independent. But you have to; you don't have a choice. Hmm. Um, and um, um, secondly, um, and secondly, I've forgotten what the hell I was going to say, but. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, well, well you, you, you don't. Have, I'll tell you what it was. I'm sorry. So the 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 uh, the two things that it seems like it would be a disadvantage to move around the country all the time. But uh, one of the advantages was that um, you don't have any friends, which sounds like a terrible. That's not really an advantage. I mean, it's just you're just looking on the bright side of it. But it really, really does make you more independent. And and you have a tendency, I think, to be more contrarian because you're not accustomed to to uh, to taking counsel from peers. And uh, I think from an entrepreneurial perspective, I, I think that was a good thing because it 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 wasn't. It's not like uh, I ever looked for, um, um, uh, for approval, uh, in others. As a matter of fact, it was quite the, the reverse. So. Hmm. Well, first, uh, question that came to mind is what, what had you moving across the country so many times? Well, my, um, my father, uh, my grandfather was a uh, sharecropper, and my father um, did not. Uh, he he. This was the Korean War, and he had to join the Navy, um, and he wasn't able to go to school, and he didn't really have enough money to actually go to school, and. My parents apparently had a difficult time understanding how that whole baby making thing worked because they they did it just fine. Uh, they just didn't know how to not do it. And so uh, by the time they were uh, 30, I mean, they had four kids and and it, it just got harder and harder for my father to, to go to school, though he tried in a number of different uh, states. And, uh, and then once he did go to school and once he did get his, uh, uh, BS and his, uh, MS, uh, in engineering, uh, I think he felt like he had to make up for lost time and he just bounced from job to job. Anybody that would offer him more money because he felt like he was behind, uh, everybody else. 
And, uh, and so we moved everywhere. It was totally ridiculous. Now I think that that obviously that, that was not good for his career. Um, but he certainly didn't know it at the time. So it's understandable, but that basically moved us just all over the place. Um, Hmm. How did, so what were you doing before you started big ass fans? Well, there were, when I got out of school, uh, I went into the insurance uh, underwriting uh, industry, and then I progressed to uh, reinsurance. Uh, and after about five years of doing that sort of thing, of working in an office for a really big, uh, or what seemed to, it, to me at the time to be a really big corporation, um, uh, I, I just, I realized I just couldn't do that. And, and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And, and it's not that I, I, I found it interesting. There were things about it that I found very interesting, but, uh, from a management uh, perspective, uh, it just wasn't, um, I wasn't able to, to, uh, to do what I wanted to do. It, the, the corporations weren't as flexible as, as I would have hoped, and so I decided, well, I'm not doing this anymore. And I had concentrated on uh, oil and gas uh, when I was uh, with the reinsurance company and converse, uh, I'm sorry, con- energy savings. Con- <laughs> no, you can't say it. Energy conservation. I did that one time on television and it was live. And I swear to God, I could not say the word. And it was so amazing. And all I could do was laugh. And it's like, what the hell is this guy up to? Um, but anyway, it was sort of embarrassing. Um, but uh, so anyway, so we had, when I was a kid, uh, one of the uh, things we had done because we, when my father was going to school, we lived in student housing and, and we didn't have air conditioning and this was in Alabama and it was hot. And so we used to spray water on the roof to, to before uh, dinner and at various times just to, just to lower the temperature a little bit. And so uh, I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we can do that on uh, large industrial buildings because the, the roof is quite an, has a, a large exposure uh, to the solar heat gain. And um, so I started that business and, and a roof cooling business is what it was. And, and it was interesting. I learned an awful lot. It didn't make any money. It was a really dumb thing to do. Um, but what I did learn, one of the things I learned was how people actually stay cool in large industrial spaces. And I was enamored uh, of uh, fans and not because I, at the time, understood them. I understood them from a physiological perspective, but but not from a, a, a channel or a, or a marketing perspective. But then I also wrote a lot of articles because obviously with something as arcane as roof cooling, you have to explain it. It was a big educational process. And I wrote, honestly, I wrote, oh gosh, easy, 150 articles for various magazines. And this was when, this is pre-internet. So, I mean, you actually had the, uh, the, the printed uh, versions of these things. And so I learned an awful lot about how to market, to tell you the truth, because I knew all the editors and I wrote, uh, I wrote all sorts of articles. And um, 
So in reading one of these uh, um, magazines one time, I, I saw an advertisement. These guys were holding this huge fan or what appeared to be a huge fan. And I thought, holy snapple, that is a great idea. And then I promptly lost, it was an ad, I promptly lost it, uh, like a ding dong. And uh, fortunately, they ran two ads and, and I kept the second one, uh, called them up and um, asked them, you know, does this thing work? And, and they said, oh, of course it works. And I said, well, here's the deal. Uh, I'll market it uh, for you, but I have to have exclusive rights to do that. And uh, so we made that deal. And it was a deal that worked for about a year, two years max, uh, because they were a little machine shop. And they just, uh, they had, before I uh, came into their business, they had sold in several years, they had sold 17 fans and they'd gotten paid for about seven of them. Actually, one of the first things they asked me to do is see if I could collect from everybody that they had sold things to. It was sort of silly, but <laughs> but we were very, very successful in, in marketing the fans. And um, it was it really was a situation where it was too much for them because they were a machine shop and machine shops aren't manufacturers and manufacturing something different and they, they couldn't handle the, the volume. And they ultimately uh, made manufacturing mistakes that kept us from um, actually one summer from selling any fans at all because we had to recall them all. Uh, and so we had uh, been prescient in the sense that uh, within the contract that we uh, wrote, or actually they wrote, uh, we'd said that after we had sold a certain number of fans, um, that, uh, that we had the right, that I had the right, uh, to buy, uh, the IP and to show you how little they thought of the whole thing. It was, the, the number was like 5,000 fans. And, uh, so I paid them, uh, $400,000, uh, for the, uh, for the IP and for the manufacturing, uh, techniques and uh in methods and that's how we got started so that was basically 2001 uh and um and so we went after investing that 400,000 we we turned that into 500 million it took us a while to do that though 16 years but but that's basically how we how we came amazing. to it so it wasn't it wasn't a straight path amazing uh, and that was all in Kentucky no, it was, uh, it began uh, with the roof cooling in Texas, uh, in Dallas, uh, and moved to uh, Alabama and then Georgia, then Kentucky. Um, and so wow. it was a little bit of a trip. Wow. So, so much to, um, so much of the, the story that I think people need to hear it's it's not just that you saw you know the business side there this this podcast is not purely about business although business i believe is could be the mechanism to start you know another awakening in this country because how we treat our employees dictates how a child views business at the dinner table or never sees dinner or you know how we treat people mm -hmm. within the workplace impacts the home life um and 
you know, I'd like to ask you that, but first, I mean, you, you sold a company for $500 million. And although that that's, I mean, that's incredible. I think what's more incredible is 15 of your employees became instant millionaires when you sold. And that, that's the story I think of who you are in this world or who you be and the impact you make on lives. Why was that important to you that you paid out such a, a lofty sum to your key employees? Well, I, that was, and, and sometimes I'm not, uh, I'm not sure how that, um, how that comes across when you say that it was, it was interesting. It was something that, I mean, there were close to 150 people that, that had a payout. There were, there were another 14 or 15 that, uh, that received checks that were over half a million dollars. Uh, in addition mm. to those people that that were made millionaires, uh, and then there were a lot of other people that that you know got various sums, um, but but that to me was uh, um, it was one of the reasons that uh, that we sold it for five hundred million because I don't think I would still be doing it if we hadn't been offered that, and one of the reasons is because I felt like that was a reasonable number uh, for these people that had worked with me for that period of time that were going to get the, the SARS payments. And um, it, that was a very, very important thing to me. I don't know that in retrospect, um, and I don't know that it worked the way that I intended it to work. The way I intended it to work was... Um, that I would be able to, rather than uh, than give uh, uh, various people uh, raises, that I would, in essence, give them these appreciation rights, and that we would conserve cash, and we'd be able to to grow faster because we we invested everything. Um, it it didn't really turn out that way because I wound up giving bonuses and giving uh, SARS uh, to people. Um, and what's oh, that's the the people. appreciation rights. It's a it's like a stock option. Um, it, sure. it, it's it's not stock, but it's um, it's how the company appreciated the the extent to which the the dollar amount based on an evaluation that was done every year for us by an outside firm. How we um, how we grew the valuation so that if they came in, for example, the first people came in. Uh, the first SARS uh, were uh, uh, based on 50 million because that's where we started the the program, which was like 2010. Um, and uh, so they, what they received was for every just simple for every SAR that they had uh, the difference between 500 million and 50 million. So they their SARS were worth 400. Um, and, and, um, whatever, however many they had. So, uh, so that's why you got some people actually were paid, you know, close to $6 million and, and, um, but that's how that was established. But, but to me, it was a big, big deal, uh, because I don't think you can ask people to be on a trip with you, uh, like this, um, and treat it like a job because that's not the way I looked at it. And I want, I wanted everybody to see it in the way that I saw it. 
And in order to do that, they had to, they had to understand uh, what success looked like. Uh, and it wouldn't have felt right. I'm not a, I'm, I mean, I think when I look back on it, uh, I think a lot of people looked at working there as, uh, or maybe most, uh, as just a job. There were some people that that it was more than a job, obviously. There always are. Um, but I didn't want it to be that. And uh, I wanted it to be a, a thing uh, because I like these people and, and, uh, and they like coming to work. I mean, we had very low turnover. We had well, we, it, it was a very nice place to work, I think. Um, but I think you have to share. And that was, that was just what that was about. And so the hope was um, that in the long run, if, if, if I shared, then uh, we, it, the, we all would prosper. And, and whether there's a direct correlation there, I'm not sure. Uh, but that's, that's, in fact, what happened. And that, that that made me happy. Uh, it was, it's very interesting when you do that and people tell you, you know, you've changed my life and, uh, and it's like, mm. that's cool. Uh, but again, even being just yeah. a business owner, um, and, and running a business the way we did, I mean, we affected thousands of, of people obviously because you had your employees and they had their families, and then we had our suppliers and their families, and so on. So the multiplier effect uh, is is substantial anyway. Um, but uh, but with this, I don't know. You're you're closest to your your um, the guys and gals that that work with you, and and you can't expect. I think you can't expect exemplary behavior from somebody that you're not treating as if they are uh, super special. I mean, you just can't. I mean, how could you do that? And that's why I think it's funny sometimes that um, companies' spokesmen will say, well, you know, the customer's first. Well, how can that possibly be the case if you're not paying your yeah. uh, the people that you work with uh, enough to live on? And we were very, um, I mean, in the... At one point, we looked at everybody's salary and 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 said, "Is this enough to subsist on?" And we raised uh, salaries because of that. The problem with that is, of course, as you probably know, that um, you've got families. I mean, you know, there's needs and there's wants, and there's there's it, it gets to be a little bit of a problem because forty thousand dollars for one fellow is fine, but if he's got five kids, it's not so fine. But can you pay two people that are standing there doing basically the same job, pay one of them 40,000 and pay the the person sitting next to him or standing next to him 60,000. That's it's a, it's a, it's a question Uh, and, and a difficult to, to answer. And, And I think in the final analysis, you have to, you have, you come down and say, we are paying you for what you're doing here. We just want to make sure that we're paying you um, as much as we possibly can. Uh, and, uh, but you know, you treat people that way, they, 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 uh, they respond, they really do. So it was good. And now what are you up to? You, uh, cause I know you made a different move. You're back in Texas. Correct. Well, what happened was we carved out the company that bought 
the PE firm that bought our company, uh, Big Ass Fans, uh, allowed me to carve out a group prior to the sale. And it was, um, it was a group that was, uh, we call it the kitchen. It, it was uh, guys and gal that, that work on uh, difficult projects and work on ideas to try to basically deep dive concepts uh, and then turn that those ideas into business plans where we decide yay or nay. And um, so that's what we're doing right now. And um, so we've been doing it for, gosh, eight months and uh, just starting to, to some of them just starting to come to fruition. But what was interesting about it was this was in Lexington and most of these people are kids. I mean, they're between, mm, they're between 21 and, and 30. Uh, and, um, I ask him, uh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Because none of us were that, uh, taken with, uh, Lexington. It's a very small town. Um, I wasn't accustomed to living in a, a place, a town that small, but, and, but a lot of these kids, they grew up there, but it didn't matter. They voted and they said, yes, let's go to Austin. And so that's what we did. And um, so, I mean, that's where we are right now. And so what we did was we set up what we call the kitchen and they own this group and there's seven of them right now. Hmm. They own uh, 20% of the kitchen and then the kitchen um, uh, promulgates ideas and, and, and moves them hopefully into a business and the people that work in the kitchen right now, some of them are operators. They've, they've run uh, departments or divisions in the fan company. Um, some of them are, are more financial. Some of them are, are more, uh, well, engineering and then uh, scientific. Very, very bright people. The brightest people I had, really. Uh, and um, uh, But they will ultimately operate various businesses. And when that happens, they'll get 20% of that, the individual operator. Um, so that the, the object of the game is basically to teach a method of thinking about uh, business. And because I obviously mentored them and but I let them do it. I'm not interested in doing, you know, if they, if they get up, they're looking at some packaging right now and I don't want to run a packaging company. Um, but, but they do, one of them does, two of them do. And, uh, and that's their business. And so they'll get a piece of that in addition to a piece of the, the kitchen, because it's conceivable that that, that particular business won't work, but hopefully one of the other businesses will and they'll have a piece of that. Um, but the object of the game is to teach them how to think about this. And in addition to that, to, to make them wealthy, I mean, to build wealth for them. Um, and so I think that's when you talk about what to teach uh, somebody that's younger, I think that business is very, very interesting. It's, it's a, it's a chess game. And, um, and I think that the more people that know how to do it and do it properly, uh, um, the uh, the more educated the 
the uh, uh, population becomes uh, and the more rational their uh, decisions and decision-making process becomes. So it's just a, it's sort of a, well, it's something I'm interested in. So. I love it. So a few more questions for you. So for those listening there, they've, they've heard this incredible story. They've heard, um, the rise of big ass fans, your story, the impact you had on your employees. And now, um, your new team that you guys are creating this powerful incubator for those that are listening, whether they're in leadership positions within companies, owners of, of businesses, um, or their stay at home mm-hmm. parents. I don't know wherever, wherever someone is, what are, what are a couple of principles that you live by that you think everyone would benefit from? Well, um, I think that, uh, one empathy is a big deal. I mean, I think that you have to be able to empathize with other people. Um, I think when you, I, I always found, I looked at myself at, at the company as being a hyperlink um, because, and I had an office, but I was seldom there and I just walked around every place. And, and what I did was I would talk to individual em- employees and say, tell me what your biggest problem is here. I mean, what is it that drives you crazy? And take notes on that and say, fine, okay, we're going to fix that. And then drive that through uh, and fix that. And typically, uh, 90% of the time, it was misunderstanding because there's in, in miscommunication because there's people have a tendency, I don't know why this is, mm. to want to build silos, to want to, you know, I'm in sales and she's in accounting and she just doesn't get it. Um, and she gives me flack mm. because I know this is a good account or I know that that this individual is, is uh, uh uh, is going to pay us or there's a there's a there's a slight problem but i mean he's always been a good customer in the past so just leave me alone i'm not going to send dunning notices and you realize that and so the, the, you've got this this antipathy between these two people and you realize that when you say okay look here's sam and here's mary and and let's talk about this and figure this out and see why, why does she look at it this way? Why do you look at it that way? And inevitably, uh, it would be, well, now they know, they know each other. And so the problems sort of uh, disappear or have a tendency to disappear. When you understand what, what, the, what the other person's point of view is and what their problems are, the way they have to look at it. A particular situation. And so I found a lot of it, some of it was uh, structural, you know, and that's always interesting, but, but uh, a lot of it was, um, was uh, communication. And I always felt like that was a really good use of my time. I get to know what was going on uh, in the company. Obviously you meet, you know, everybody. Um, But I, I think that that's the first thing is if, if you understand uh, where somebody's coming from, it's very difficult to dislike them. I mean, it's just almost impossible to dislike them, but you have to take a little bit of time and you have to understand that. And I always think that's funny as relates politics, uh, which is a very, very low art. Um, and uh, because it's not as if 
there are two groups uh, that that are uh, opposed to each other's perspectives or points of view. I mean, most people want to see the same thing done. It's a matter of how you get it done. And but if there was an understanding, if you just take a little bit of time and and uh, open yourself to the fact that somebody on the in another silo is probably has the same goal that you do, you simply have to understand that so you can work together. And that's the way it is, I think, uh, in, 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 in business as well. So um, that's one of the things I think is important. The other thing is you shouldn't worry money. Money, I mean, um, people worry about money and they worry about it. I used to, to say that, you know, we may not make money on every single every single job we do, we have to make money overall. But, but if we make a mistake, I mean, by gum, I mean, you've got to, you've got to fix it. You've got to fix it right now. It it doesn't matter how much it costs. It has nothing to do with it. Um, And I think that's something else people uh, should pay attention to. Uh, And at the end of the day, you've, you've got to do something that you like. And I don't mean, you know, you like to knit and that's what you want to build a business around knitting. Well, I guess you could. Uh, but from my perspective, you can build a business around anything. And what I think is funny, too, sometimes is people will ask me, like I had a call the other day, and these people had this idea of what they were going to do. They were, and it was a dumb idea. It really was dumb. And, and it, that doesn't happen that often, but, but I mean, <laughs> it does happen that people call me with a really dumb idea. And, and so I tried to explain to them, don't get so worked up about this idea. You formed all of these opinions. This is your, you know, going to be your life now. And this is what's the, it's important to you. And I, I think, one thing that you can do or people should do is survey. I mean, we do a lot of surveys and that's the amazing thing about uh, having the, uh, the internet is you can do survey monkeys. You can do all sorts of things. You can know what people think about it. And it's not, well, I asked my father, I asked my uncle, I asked three of my neighbors. No, 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 that is not a survey. Uh, you need to do this dispassionately. But the thing is, if you listen to people, people will tell you what their problems are. They'll tell you where they've got a problem. They'll tell you about opportunities. You just have to have an open enough mind to accept that. may not be exactly what you may have nothing to do with knitting. Um, and, and accept that and, and think about how you can solve that problem. And so from my perspective, there are an infinite number of business opportunities. Um, you just have to uncover them. And, and I think that just as we did in the fan company, we were, we did not use um, um, the standard channels, the distributors, dealers, retailers. That's not what we did. We sold directly to the customer, to the end user. And that provided us this link, this conversation link that we're, we had a problem. We knew about it because we talked to these guys all the time. Um, when they had an idea and we used to bring them in, as many of them as we could, they will tell you what their ideas are. They'll tell you what to do. Uh, you just, you can't do everything they suggest, but you have to listen to that sort of thing. People are, I think communication is a big, big deal. And, and the closer you get to your customer, the better shape you're going to be in. If you think your customer is a big box, then you're crazy. 
absolutely insane. Uh, and I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. Plus, it's a horrible life because if you think they're going to treat you nice, you are crazy, totally crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's my mm-hmm. my take on life is don't take anybody else's money. Uh, you don't need investors. Uh, go direct. Talk to your customers. Treat everybody fairly. It, it's a it's a kindergarten thing. I mean, you know, share the blocks. Uh, and, um, and, and, and don't get fixated on making a lot of money. Uh, everything happens. Everything will come. If you do it right, if you play it right, um, it'll happen. I was reading something oh, just yesterday or today, the whole bit about not charging enough money like the movie pass or some of these things. That's not a business. That's a charity. And it's ridiculous. But you can't do that. That is not the way you run a business. And I think a lot of people imagine that, well, Amazon did it. Yeah, well, Amazon did it. Um, and and I think that you certainly cannot expect to make a lot of money uh, for several years after you start a business. I mean, you can't be fixated with making a lot of money. But uh if you got to cover cost, yeah. if you don't cover costs, you're not doing anybody any favors because you you've got employees and they're not going to be employees for long if you don't cover costs. That's ridiculous. That's right. That's good, Carrie. It's been a pleasure having you on uh, today. It's um, I've seen. I mean, my one of my clients uh, has your fans. Uh, or your your previous fans uh, still has your fans in, in there, and um, you know I've enjoyed the <laughs> the effect of them while we were doing uh, marketing for their company, and uh, really appreciate you and your point of view. And um, I I just you are you're a great model for what business is, and it's treating people like people and treating people the way you want to be treated, and. And the results are, they're good. They're good. So I appreciate you coming on today. As always, I ask you to download, like, share, comment, spread the word, and let's create the movement. The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. My name is Lucas Mack, and I am honored to have you listen to this show. And I look forward to talking with you on the next episode.